Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From roommates to co-hosts. This is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 24 of the Backcheck. Brendan and Stefan here. We're going to dive into Adam Fox and his Norris Trophy candidate, uh, candidacy, I should say. We're going to talk about the Islanders and their recent play. And most importantly, we got our special guest, Andrew Gross, and Newsday coming on. Don't go anywhere. 30 seconds. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for this advertisement from SUNY Cortland Sport Management. SUNY Cortland Sport Management is a proud sponsor of the Backcheck. In the SUNY Cortland Sport Management program, students get hands-on training in sport event management and sport media production. The sport management department is the oldest sport-specific major in New York State and boasts an impressive list of alumni, something me and Brendan know a lot about. To get more info about the program, go to courtland.edu SPM or look up Cortland SPMG on your favorite social media. SUNY Cortland Sport Management, where the tomorrow's sport industry leaders practice their craft. Judy Cortland Sport Management, gotta love it. Get us our start here, but you know it was a really interesting week. And whenever you see Connor McDavid's name in, <laughs> right, you think, "Oh my God, what do he do now?" And I got an alert saying Connor McDavid should be suspended. And I thought it was a joke because you know you probably put a move so nasty on that the guy's jock straps in the fifteenth row, and he got to get suspended for being that dirty at hockey. But no, it was actually Connor McDavid trying to be physical, and uh, his elbow, I think extended a little too far on that hit you pulled an old tom wilson on cockney the emmy i mean he uh yeah it was a high hit and right when i saw it you know first glance on slow motion it's it's so much easier to go oh that's so dirty in slow motion because you're breaking it down you're seeing just how bad it is but in real time was Connor mcdavid trying to hit him in the head i don't know Connor mcdavid's team was down three nothing at the time they they dropped the game to the canadians four nothing he was pissed off and 
you know, everyone's like, well, if that was Tom Wilson, he's getting suspended. Well, Connor McDavid's never done anything wrong in the <laughs> NHL. It's a little different. If Connor McDavid didn't score goals like he scores and was a dirty player, yeah, you suspend him for this. But he got the max fine of $5,000. And it's unfortunate, but at the same time, brother, though, I look at this as I kind of like it. Not that he hurt him and hit him hot. I like the fact that McDavid was being physical in this spot. You look at a player like, you know, Crosby, Marchand, they're physical guys, but, you know, they always complain about things, you know? I've never really, I guess we don't watch him enough though. I don't know if I'm, you know, allowed to say this and stuff, but I don't ever see McDavid. No, but I never see McDavid. You're calling him soft Stefan. No, no, no. I'm the opposite. You don't see him always complaining to the ref. You see him go out there, do his job, score goals, and try to help his team win. It's never that. So the fact that I saw some fire in him is great because a lot of stars are untouchable where they won't do the dirty work. Someone else will do it. But he's making a point here. You know, he didn't want to hurt him, but he's hitting him up high. He's finishing his check there. He's frustrated with the way it's going right now. And Edmonton, you don't like losing, don't like getting shut out. He was frustrated. He showed that. And all I like to see that from a star player in the NHL. No, it's cool when the star players hit. And I really don't think it was an intentional headshot by no, any means. I really not. think that what it was is when you watch the replay, he's going to finish his check. And it's almost like he expects there to be more weight. So his arm's coming, and then all of a sudden it slips up, and the elbow follows through. And I really didn't think it was that hard of an elbow. So if I was NHL player safety, which I'm not, and I don't agree with a lot of their things, I personally think this wasn't suspension-worthy. It was fine-worthy. That's just my opinion. If Tom Wilson did it, it is a suspension because they are talking about a repeat offender. If certain players do it, it is a suspension. If certain players do it, it's not. That's just the nature of the league. And for a player like Connor McDavid to get suspended, I think it has to be really, really blatant that he was trying to injure. And I don't really see that it that way. I think it was just an accidental elbow that came up. That happens. It's hockey. He got fined. You move on. We will talk about Tom Wilson later when we get to the Rangers because he made me crack up last night. But That, that, that was a great scene between Lindgren, him, and Ovechkin at the end of that game. That I was last, crying. Like, that last like two-minute stretch was great. But we'll get to, we'll get to that get to that shortly. But uh, big news you know, out of Florida is back on Saturday, Aaron Eckblad, who's having a phenomenal year, gets caught up with um, Stars defenseman Essa Lindell on the corner, falls awkwardly, fractures his left leg. He's out 12 weeks. People are thinking that this might be a career ender for him. It'll be a tough road back, but the first overall pick from 2014, I mean, he'll make it back. And the Florida Panthers right now are tied for the top spot in the division with the Lightning. So, you know, how big of a loss is he? It's going to be big, and we'll see what happens come the trade deadline if they add someone, which clearly clearly they have to. But what a tough loss for, for the Florida Panthers. It's a huge loss because Ekblad was having you know a Norris-caliber season. He had 11 goals. He had 11 assists, 22 points, was a plus five. I, I mean, the guy was playing as well as he has since entering the league as that top overall pick. And when you look at a player like Ekblad, you, you don't necessarily think – offense offense you think a solid sturdy defender and for a team like florida that has so many weapons that's what they need especially on that back end so to lose him it's going to be felt Uh, there's no question about that and i i honestly think he got lucky that it wasn't a serious fracture just a leg fracture right obviously you don't want it to be you don't want to get injured but i'd rather see a fracture that could be healed and fixed and you know bolted together let it heal over time you don't want to start seeing the knee tears and those ligament tears. That's when you'd start doing career damage. So for the Panthers, it's not what you want, but it's not as bad necessarily as it could, could have been, especially when you see the leg twist like that. So it's a sigh of relief when you hear fracture, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. I think he'll be fine rebounding wise. If Alex Smith can come back from what he came back from, I think Aaron Eckblad's going to be just fine coming back and how they replace him. 
I thought they were going to get Shane Gossespear, but they didn't go out and do that. Well, let's talk about Shane Gothisbear. He's put on waivers yesterday or two days ago by by the Flyers, and you thought, oh, is he finally are the Flyers finally going to find a way to get rid of this guy? He hasn't been great, you know. This year he hasn't looked bad. He's got five goals, six assists in twenty five games played. He was he's been a healthy scratch more often than not, though. And yep. you look at, and that's bad. First off, when you look at the Flyers' defense and how bad they've been to have a guy like Shane Gothisbear scratched more often than not. That shows something about your your ability to play. And he's a Florida native, grew up rooting for the Florida Panthers. Not many people say that at all in general, even if they're from Florida. <laughs> they got a team like the Lightning right there, so it's an easy choice. But you look at it and no one, you know, no one went after him on while he was on waivers. I heard, I was hearing through the grapevines that Florida's gonna go for him, but that contract, I mean, he's owed nine million plus over the next two plus years on his deal. So that's a lot of money in this salary cap age where it's really tight due to coronavirus and all that kind of stuff. It would have been tough, but Brendan, you think that a trade's going to be made where they retain salary. Well, I think that that's why he didn't get picked up. Uh, when you look at it just financially from how the flat cap is affecting teams, Gossespear is not a cheap contract to take on, especially in Florida where they have a significant amount of money tied up into other players. So if they're going to take him, I would look for them to want the Flyers to retain some of that salary. And from the Flyers' standpoint, they were looking to do the opposite. I think they were looking to clear that cap so that they could make a room um, room for a move. So kind of backfired on them. They still have him. He can play whenever he wants. So they, they put him on waivers. He's now free to roam to the taxi squad. But I don't know why you would put him on the taxi squad when you're that shaky defensively. I feel like you would want him in the lineup. So I look for him to be moved and the Flyers to retain some cap and see where he'll go. But what a, what a weird scene that's developing down in Philly, man. Just so odd. Well, I heard Carter hear about Carter Hart. Carter Hart is going to be a healthy scratch for the next two games. He was a healthy scratch their last game because Elaine Vignon said that Carter Hart has to be better. He has to work harder. And now he's going to have practice time to play Alex Lyon, who hasn't really proven himself to be NHL caliber and Brian Ellie, who can't have a beach ball right now. The defense has been bad. Again, defense, terrible, putrid. Yep. Almost as almost as bad as the Sabers, but not 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 there yet. Fortunately, it could still get that bad. But they try to get Jonathan Bernier's on their radar, and I don't know how much that. It doesn't really matter if you have Brodeur behind that defense. They're losing every game. It's not going to be the way they're losing, but they're losing every game. It's just they're, they're still not out of it, which is crazy. But they, honestly, they're going to be out of it soon if they keep this up. If they were to lose they're, the other they're day, three points back of Boston with two games, and Boston has two games in hand. But they, they play Boston still. And if they get on a roll, we saw what they could do last season when they got on a roll. All they need to do is correct the defense, right? They're still scoring. So uh, they play the Sabres tonight. I, I personally, from a selfish standpoint, I'm saying please lose to the Sabres tonight because I do not want to be the Rangers victim or uh, the Rangers are the victim of the Sabres for the first time in 20 games, right? I, I don't want to see the Rangers playing the Sabres with a chance to go on a 20-game winless streak. To me, that just got trap game written all over it and i don't want to hear that on social media so flyers please lose so that the rangers can breathe a little easier i mean i would like to see the sabers win a game for my boy kyle Oposo. he works his tail off down there they deserve it well i don't know um, if they they, they dominated know. the last game and then they just choked but, but like see, they're, they're no, this yeah. close they deserve a win those players but deserve a win that's an effort thing closing out games is an effort thing yes the flyers had a push Congratulations. They pushed against a team that has zero defense. Goaltending's been shaky a little bit, and they've just fallen apart here. But, I mean, it's just putrid what we're seeing down there. But, Brendan, you know, the biggest thing going to a different team, your team, 
is the Rangers aren't out of it either. It's not likely they'll make the playoffs, but what Adam Fox, I mean, this is going to be the whole Ranger conversation here. What Adam Fox has showcased over the last month in March, just put him on the map of this kid could actually be one of the best defensemen in all of hockey right now. He's definitely the best defenseman in the East, but in all of hockey, Brennan, Adam Fox is doing wonders for the New York Rangers right now. Well, I won't say he's the best defenseman in the East because John Carlson's still in the East. I think that statistically right now, yeah, statistically sure. But uh, John Carlson has earned that respect that he is the best defenseman in the East. And I think that if Adam Fox is not one of the five top five defensemen in the Norris Trophy race right now, I don't know what these people are on. And I saw that NHL.com writer that had Drew Doughty winning the Norris Trophy. Didn't even have Victor Hedman mentioned. It was just an absurd list that he put out there. Why? Because Doughty plays 26 minutes a game. Fox plays 24-32. So that minute and a half is really going to be the Norris Trophy minute and a half right there. Come on. Let's let's get realistic, okay? Stop going based off names. Let's look at stats, right? And it's honestly ridiculous how people are going to knock him. They haven't really talked about him. The NHL's Instagram just put out something that said Adam Fox has been going crazy. Norris Trophy, like, it, I'm not saying he's going to win it. Personally, I think Victor Hedman's the favorite, yeah, he, and he should be. He's not going to yeah. win it. But when you look at his statistics, and I think that 75% of people will agree that Victor Hedman is probably the favorite to win the Norris Trophy with what he's doing offensively and defensively this year. In my article that I just wrote for the Hockey Writers, if you look at the advanced statistics, the offensive statistics, pretty much across the board, defensively too, it's even. And for me to say that about a Rangers defenseman who's in his second year, is just, you got to sit here and go, what are we watching right now? What are we witnessing? And how good can he be? It's crazy. I I mean, we talked about it yesterday, but he's going to be as good. If he keeps this up, he'll be this generation's leech. That's for the correct. Rangers. Yes. For the Rangers, yes. I mean, I don't, I don't personally think he'll ever get to Leach's level. I, Leach, to me, is one of the most underappreciated defensemen ever. And yeah. I mean, you're talking about a guy that had multiple 100-point seasons as a defenseman, two Norris trophies, Stanley Cup champion. He did everything for the Rangers. If he gets there, good Lord, this Rangers team's winning a cup, right? I, that's how important Fox will be. Because if you think about it, they snuck into a qualifying round last year, and they're hanging around this year. With Zabanajet struggling for the majority of the season, Panarin taking a leave of absence. So when you look at who's the reason they're hanging around, this guy Adam Fox is pretty good at hockey. Um, and I think that if he continues to get better, if Miller continues to get better, which we expect both of them to, uh, it's hard to get better than what Fox is doing right now. But it looks like he can if he's only 23. You bring in Lundquist. You have Truba coming back, right? You start to add these young pieces. And now all of a sudden you're talking about a team that's loaded defensively when two years ago you were saying this is the most porous defense in the National Hockey League. So one player can make a huge impact. And we're going to look at year 2030, right? We're going to be looking back. Who knows what the Rangers have done at that point? But I think we're going to be saying, wow. Remember when the Rangers traded for Adam Fox and only gave up a second and a third round pick? <laughs> That's something. I mean, three goals and 17 assists in the month of March in 15 games. Now, yes, two of those games came in blowout wins against the Flowers, but he still got the job done. He still had to make that pass and make that play. And last night, his goal would give the Rangers a 3-2 lead, right? Late in the third yep, or right. middle of the third. He took the lead uh, with like 13 minutes, I think, left. What a beautiful that's, – that's not, not something that you could teach. That's a raw skill, what he was able to do there. What was and better, the finish or the corral of the pass? 
corralling the pass because I think that, so too. Because you don't, he didn't have to think about that. Putting the puck back in, I mean, you got to think. All right, I'm going to shoot it there, and he was given time and space, but he made the time and space for himself because he didn't have to stop and get the puck. It well, was all Kako actually helped him there. Yeah, Kako was, took the defender with him exactly, but it was all in one motion, and that's not something you see from a defenseman. That's somebody from a from a, a five six year vet in the NHL level, a forward, a sniper like filthy. That's a Barzal esque type play from well, that, your number one defenseman. That's what it reminded me of, right? Like yeah. you talk about when you look at the Islanders, obviously, and we focus on those two teams here. That's a play that Barzal can make, and the fact that he is a second year defenseman doing that, when the the main part of his game is supposed to be shutting down the other team's top forwards, and he does that while making plays like that. That's that's why he's so special, and. I don't think that Rangers fans are really uh, – some probably do. I, I love saying Fox for Norris because if he's not in the conversation, then the conversation's wrong with the way he's played. But when you realize that you have somebody who's getting mentioned with the elite defenseman, it kind of gives you that hope of the rebuild and it's starting to come to fruition because offensively the players that they've drafted high haven't necessarily given and instilled that hope into the fan base. You've seen glimpses of Kako, glimpses of Lafreniere, but Fox is somebody who's been consistent since he entered that lineup last season. And I, I, I just really, it's mind-boggling at how good he's been in just two years. And not even two full years. That That's what makes it even more impressive to me. COVID ended the first one, and COVID's impacting this one. And he's still growing. Mentally, physically, like, I mean, this, he's a young kid. He could get exponentially better. We have no idea what his ceiling is, but I want to talk about last game's ending. So first off, (laughs) who, oh, so Brendan Smith, first off, this was just perfectly the way the broadcast happened, right? So they are raving about Brendan Smith, just doing what the team asks him. And then he has a nasty crush. I'm so happy you just said that. I was watching that going, what? (laughs) He's, He's a very mediocre sixth defenseman on that team and he does his sixth defenseman role great and they're raving about him like you said and then two seconds later boom boom so he hits Oshi right awful this is like that's as worse as a crush I could really get right to the ribs you see Oshi going off holding it he's in pain they call a penalty on the play you know and ev- everything moves around one of the games counting down and Buchnevich scores the net. goal and who goes right to the Rangers bench Tom Wilson. And I was like, well, Lindgren had to say something. Yeah, so probably Lindgren said something, and we obviously won't know about that. But Tom Wilson's pissed. And when four or five, I feel like all the refs and some fans had to go on the rink and hold him back because he was angry. And, you know, we talk about it all the time where Tom Wilson's a player where if he's on your team, you love him. And if he's against you, you hate him. But this was a moment where he crossed the line. You You don't, first off, he crossed the red line, which is literally the line. But at the same time, you, can't, you don't go to another team's bench. They're celebrating an empty net goal. I mean, you, you don't do that. That's just a common thing. Anyway, he does it. And I was more concerned with Ovechkin mouthing off. Lindgren's like, shut up. Shut up, Ovi. Whatever I, you said to him. Lindgren was sitting there. Yeah. First of all, the fact he's a psychopath, all right? Every single game he comes out with Wilson? a new bruise on his face. No, Lindgren. Well, oh, Wilson, yeah, too, yeah. but Lindgren is. And that's why Rangers fans love him because he's a perfect compliment to Fox. He's that gritty guy. But Wilson is enraged like you just said completely oh. there's a four rangers around him he's going through all of them trying to get to lingren and lingren is sitting there smiling and laughing now any normal human being that has tom wilson coming after them is like going into self-defense mode lingren's six foot like 205 pounds he's not gonna win that fight but he doesn't care and he's just laughing and it's so brilliant to watch how pissed off one guy is 
and how nonchalant the other guy is about it. And then you have Ovechkin who starts chirping and he looks at him and goes, can you just shut up? Shut up already. <laughs> That's like, what he said. It's a 22-year-old talking to the greatest goal the greatest scorer, of all, scorer of all time. Just shut up, bro. And just <laughs> I say thought you have, it was say you have white hair. That's all you got to say. It's awesome. It was just awesome to see. And you got two games left, I think, in New York where, where these two teams are going to wind up going at it. I wouldn't be surprised if Wilson fights somebody. Who that's going to be now is the interesting part since they move Lemieux. Uh, it could be Smith, even though I think Smith would get dummied. Lingren might have to do it. It's gonna I, be- I don't know how he'll do, but we'll see. It, it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I did also, before we talk Islanders, Ovechkin and Chesterkin trained in the offseason. Oh, yeah, this was great. And they he stopped them on a like a redirect and commercial break, and all of a sudden they're skating back to the bench. You see them having some words. And it just – those were definitely not hostile words. They, those were friendly no. words, probably a, a friendly back and forth, right? And I look at that and I say, it's such an advantage when Chesterkin's going to the offseason and the only shots that he's facing are coming from the best shot in the National Hockey League, pretty much. And I wonder if we're going to watch videos this offseason where you have Sorokin and Shesterkin training in the same facility as him. They're all from around the same area. So how cool would that be, right? You do see some pickup games uh, uh, on the offseason. Some videos come down where you got Ovechkin and Shesterkin versus Sorokin in one end. Like The the way that these guys are going to grow if you're facing his shot because he knows all the intimate details of goaltenders. And if he's training with you, he's going to share some of that. So I think it will only make both of them better if that happens. Have you ever seen the movie Rookie, the baseball movie? I believe so. Okay, it's about this like forty-something-year-old pitcher who is training. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and what happens is he realizes that he's his team, uh, his team that he's pitching to, realizes that he's throwing like ridiculously fast, high nineties. So their team was pretty bad, but he taught those players that all right, I'm going to keep throwing nines at you. So when you face uh, pitchers that throw 70, 80, and they they bloom out of the park. When you're going against an Ovechkin shot in practice, that's probably as fast and as hard of a shot there is in the NHL. Correct. So now when you're facing people that are not shooting that hard and fast, it's easier. It looks slower. You know, you can control the game more. And I think for Shesterkin, you got not that it's fully credited to Ovechkin, but practicing against a guy like that makes the other shots look so much slower. And it's just a perfect thing, and I don't know how much Ovechkin likes that. Then you probably shot that yesterday. It was a glove save, I think, right? A nasty glove save, and yep. he probably said, "Ah, oh, God, he knows. He knows that kind of shot." Well, the first time these two teams played each other, with Shesterkin yeah. being the start of the season, Ovechkin had eight shots on goal. Oh yeah, he scored on the last one. So Shesterkin was seven for the first seven, and they weren't routine shots. They were from his office. And it made people start to, you know, wonder, does Shesterkin know what he's going to do when he shoots the puck? Because they train together. And even in the training video, uh, Ovechkin had a breakaway and Shesterkin stopped him on it. So kind of interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of years because they're going to be playing each other so much. And, I mean, Ovechkin's going to get his goals. He Nobody can stop him every single time. But Shesterkin, for after giving up two quick ones early on, he really settled down and kept the Rangers in it. And I know that he hasn't gotten a shutout and that his numbers might not be blowing people away as the Henrik Lundqvist type numbers, even though it's a 2-3 and a 9-22. They're pretty damn good numbers. Yeah. But if you watch him play, even the games he gives up three goals, the Rangers, for some reason, when it's a starting goalie, don't play defense in front of him. And he's been making some fabulous saves. And I think that he's another one that will continue to get better. And once he gets that first shutout, don't be surprised if he goes on one of those Varlamov-like shutout streaks where it's like two straight games of just dominance. Yeah, I mean, for the Rangers, they kept their hopes alive. I mean, unfortunately, Boston won an overtime, which does damper things there. Uh, yeah, How I mean, does I, that happen? 
It's collapsed by the Devils, man. Your friendly neighborhood Devils. It was 4-2, 4-2, 4-2, and then you put out a tweet, and I go to check, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's 4-4 in OT. And then Blackwood stood on his head in OT, and the Devils had a power play and couldn't score. It's hockey, man. That's why we love it. But for the wow. Islanders, let's you know we'll get to the interview in about eight minutes or so with Andrew Gross of Newsday, covers the Islanders. Great guy. We talked to him yesterday. It'll be a pre-recorded interview. But anyway, we talked on this interview about the Islanders' slow starts as of late. Over yep. the last four games, they have not scored the first goal. And I just I wrote an article about why. You know, obviously we're not in the players' heads mentally, what's going on, but statistically, I can tell you why they're they're going down early. And let me just throw a few out there. So in the first period, so four first periods now, they are 26 of 76 in the faceoff dot. That's 34.2% to start games. That's downright terrible. They're around 40 or 51 point something on the season. So above above the 500 mark, which is what you need to see. But in the first period, they're not winning. They're not winning faceoffs. Yep. What happens when you don't win faceoffs and control possession is you take penalties. Right now, they are averaging two penalties per first period over the last four games. Their PK is four for six, but at the same time, that's just you know. First off, your top players like a Barzal, a Wallstrom, they're not on the penalty kill. So for you're not getting letting them get their legs underneath them. Your best players aren't on the rink when you're killing penalties. That's nowhere to win. Plus. The pressure that you now put on the goalie early in the game. And in the first period, I think the goaltenders for the Islanders, Sorokin and Chesterkin, excuse me, Sorokin and Varlamov, I think a point eight four five or around their save percentage. So they're not coming up with those big saves either. It, it's not working out. They have six shots on goal per first period. Oh, again, over these last four games, which is just not where you got to be. Their opponents are around nine. So you're not controlling pace of play. You're not winning phase-offs. You're taking penalties. And you're not getting shots on goal. They're being outscored 6 nothing in those first periods. But the crazy thing is, after the first period, they, outshoot, they outscore their opponents 8-4. to four. It's just one thing of not being ready to start games. And to me, there's just no excuse. You know what time the game starts. If, you're, if your preparation's off and you see this as becoming a trend and it's just not being ready, when we start doing your mental preparation or the physical preparation... 30 minutes earlier. See what, you know, I don't know why. Once the puck is dropped, you have to think, all right, it's go time. We've seen the Islanders in the past, like with Doug Waite, Jack Capuano, this was an issue. And the issue was more so slow starts, great middle, couldn't close out games for the life of them. They couldn't do that. And under Barry Trotz really hasn't been an issue. But right now, I mean, not being ready to start games, especially when your opponents now, they, they put the Capitals on Thursday, their, their schedule does not get easier. Yep. And if it's, you know, they, over the last four games, they have two wins in overtime, thanks to Anthony Bavillier, two overtime winners, but they've had to come back and that's no way to win in the playoffs. You go down early against teams like the lightning, even the Bruins who are struggling if they make the playoffs, but any team really, you're not the likelihood of you coming back and winning And the Islanders are on the year when trailing after one period or eight, nine and two. So I guess you have to commend the resiliency because that, that record's not terrible when trailing. They've come back in a lot of games this year. But when they score first and they lead after one period, 14-1-2. So, excuse me, that stat is when they lead after one period, not necessarily scoring first. 14-1-2, though, when they have a strong first period and come out of that first period on top. Yeah, th- this is actually a very interesting trend that's going on here because over the course of those last four games where they struggled, they have now dropped basically into a tie for second. And it, if they fall into third, Right, and they wind up going into the postseason, say in third place. You're now looking at four of the seven games on the road where they're just a 500 team so far, and that's a huge difference as opposed to being that two seed or one seed where they're dominant at the Coliseum. Right, so you look at that, and to me, the biggest game of their season so far is coming up against the Capitals. 
the Capitals are coming to the Coliseum, that they got to win, right? You, you think that they have to win, but if they get off to another one of those slow starts, will they be able to beat a very good Caps team? The Capitals lost for just the second time last night after leading into the third period. So that does not happen often what the Rangers were able to do last night. So could the Islanders do that too? Sure. But I can tell you that Barry Trotz definitely wants to have that lead instead of trailing his former team. And to me, coming up, you have that game circled as they have to hold turf. That's the biggest game so far of the season. I mean, every game from now, for pretty much the whole year, Correct. every game is a big game. And we could talk about that all we want just because of the shortened season, that's the case. But you look at the Islanders and it's, you know, the Capitals just had two games in a row where they where they collapsed. The first one, they didn't blow it completely, but they allowed them just to get back in it, showing defensive issues in their own zone. I mean, they fell apart. They look like the Flyers or the Sabres. And then last night, Caps playing well, playing well, probably could have had four or five more goals if it wasn't for Shesterkin. Rangers come back and win. So clearly the Caps are vulnerable. The problem is, though, how, you just can't rely on trailing in games. I think it was a couple of years ago with the Yankees. They'd come back from behind every single game. It's like, yeah. when you get to the playoffs, though, you can't hit pitching. So you doesn't, you're going to lose. You're, ne- you're never going to come back. And on the year, right, with the Islanders, if you look at their breakdowns, at home, when scoring first, 8-0-2. On the road, 6-1. When the opponent scores first at home, the Islanders are 5-1. On the road, they're 3-8-2. So... I mean, that's a huge disparity. Just score the first goal. How about you win the first faceoff? In the yep. game against the Penguins um, the other day, Cro- the opening faceoff, Crosby went forward on the opening faceoff and still gained possession with it. It's like just win the opening faceoff. You control pace of play. The Islanders are at their best when they can play their game. When they get caught playing the other team's style, they struggle. And the Islanders are so focused on their defensive structure that if you get them to play an offensive style game, they're not going to win. They're not going to win. They're not going to come through when they need to, and they're not going to play. But if they win the faceoff early, control possession, do what they have to do, they're going to score the first goal. It, it starts, you know, it's all these things are connected. Winning a faceoff, taking less penalties. If you win the faceoff and control pace of play, you're not going to take the penalties. And the penalties are coming in the offensive zone because they're chasing the Penguins or whatever team it is that go into their own zone. They're chasing Ross Johnson. Terrible slashing penalty to start his first shift since January. But you just can't do that. All in all, Islanders have to score first against the Capitals. No ifs, ands, or buts, or it's going to be a very long game. And the Caps have not allowed the Islanders to get a point so far this season against them. Yeah, and that's, they're above that's crazy. them. And, but one of their games, the Islanders were dominating, and then in the second period, you have a five unanswered goals. I mean, the Caps are a good team. And I kind of like the fact that we've thrown two baseball references into this podcast so far. We got spring, uh, spring training. We got season debut tomorrow for the Yankees. So buckle up 1 p.m. for that. And then hockey at night so tomorrow's gonna be a fun sports day we're starting to get back into that swing but we got a pretty good interview which talks about this too and when the interview's done we'll go dive into some of the upcoming games that are going to come up for the rangers and islanders but we'll go to a commercial break right now when we come back we'll be joined by andrew gross of newsday hey everybody it's brendan here do you have old jerseys what about old hockey equipment Rather than throw these items out, our friends over at Alternite would love to have them. This nonprofit converts jerseys into reusable face masks. The same face mask the New York Rangers wore in the bubble this past postseason. The old equipment you donate will be given to less fortunate children throughout the state. It doesn't matter what team you root for. Let's all come together to make a difference and grow the sport of hockey. To learn more, head to Alternite.com. That's Alternite.com. Hey guys, Stefan here. 
Each night on Long Island, 180,000 residents will go hungry, 39% of which are kids who have no ability to control their situation. Our friends over at Long Island Hockey Co. are trying to help as many families as possible. Each hat sold on their website will provide 50 meals for food insecure Long Islanders. Head to longislandhockeyco.com and let's help the people in our community. All right, Brendan, let's do this interview, shall we? Let's do it. Let me play here. All right, we are now pleased to welcome Andrew Gross, New York Islanders beat writer for Newsday to the show. Andrew, how are you doing today? Hey, Brett, Brendan, Stefan, how are, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. So we'll kick things off with head coach Barry Trotz has struggled to find a suitable internal replacement for Anders Lee on that top line. Leo Komarov has been given there uh, has been given a chance there more often than not, but it's a no brainer that they have to go out and kind of find somebody else to fill that void, right? I mean, you would think so. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was. I mean, one, one of the one of the things with the pandemic is I, I don't get to travel with the team, you know, or or, or go see the road games. So I'm you know, like everyone else following the team, I'm just stuck at home on my couch watching the game. And I almost fell off my couch when uh, they started bringing out analytics about how much better that line is defensively with Leo Komarov. And I'm like, you know, that's that's a moment when the eye test, you know, wins. Yeah. It supersedes <laughs> any analytics you can bring out. And, and that that is obviously not to denigrate what Leo Komarov is as an NHL player, but what he is not is, is a top line left wing. You know, I mean, Leo Komarov certainly has his use as an NHL player, but you, you can just see it in, in, in Barzell and Eberle's game. You know, Barzi is trying to set Leo up, you know, and Leo has had a few opportunities right in front of the net and, you know, the hands don't connect with what the eyes are seeing. You know, I'm sure it's got to be frustrating. And again, you know, Leo's being put in a spot where, you know, it, he's not in the best position to succeed as an NHL player. But to get to your point, yeah, it, it, it certainly behooves Lou Lamarillo to get something done. I would say sooner rather than later with the clock ticking towards a uh, April 12th deadline. You got to get a guy in who can skate and, and, and can score or or uh, someone you can use reliably in a game in game game out basis and maybe maybe move a guy like Anthony Beauvillier to, to Barzell's left wing or you know or or if you acquire a right wing you know like say for instance a Kyle Palmieri you plug him in on Brock Nelson's line and then you turn Josh Bailey into the left wing on, uh, on Barzell's line because we, we all know Bailey can play either, either the left or the right side. Um, that's not the case. You know, the simple solution is everyone saying, well, wh why isn't Oliver Wallstrom on Barzell's line yet? And, and I asked Barry about that, and the answer is that he, he doesn't think either Jordan Eberle or Oliver Wallstrom could transition to the left side that well. So, uh, you know, it, it's not a simple fix. Yeah, you made a great point, too, about, you know, Leo Komarov getting a lot of heat on social media, but it's not his fault. He's being given, you know, he's being put in this position to not succeed it. Like you said, Barzal set him up a couple of times right in front. 
Kamrov's just not the player that's going to be able to score those goals. And I, I do agree with you with the Wallstrom. I think I like Wallstrom on that line with Pajot and Bavilia. I think that line really clicks. We saw last game when they moved Bavilia up. Now, that line wasn't the same. Wallstrom wasn't as noticeable. But I, you, make, you make great points there. To get to Noah Dobson, you know, after he was removed from the NHL's COVID list, he didn't travel with the team on their three-game road trip to, you know, get extra practice time in, some more tests. He should be ready to go. And you think he'll be in the lineup on Thursday against the Capitals? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, he's been skating on his own. He's been off the COVID list now. It's, what are we going on, about a week since he got he got cleared, I think. Um, it's just that he needs to ramp himself back up into game shape. And, you know, obviously, again, you know, not being, you know, physically near these guys on a day-in, day-out basis, like, you know, the media were before the pandemic, we, we, we can't, you know, there are not ways to, to check what we're being told as well. You know, our eyes can't confirm that Barry says that he's doing okay, right? But but Barry did report, uh, Barry Trotz did report that for the most part, uh, Noah Dobson was asymptomatic, you know, even though he tested positive for COVID. So I, I think that's a good sign. On, on the other hand, you, you do really have to be careful with, with anyone coming back from COVID uh, just because so little is known, you know, you, they're, they're doing all the EKGs and the heart testing. Um, you know, you, you want to make sure the lung capacity has not been damaged in, in any in any manner. So they're going to be cautious with him. But I, I do think, you know, if he can get a practice in with the guys on Wednesday um, and then maybe a quick skate Thursday morning, he, he does stand a decent chance of playing. Uh, Thursday against the Capitals. So I, you know, I, I know Barry Trotz was hopeful, and I would think, uh, I, I would think there is a definitely a, a pretty good chance. Yeah, that's definitely good news, and especially being asymptomatic through all this, you that's kind of what you hope to hear when somebody is uh, diagnosed with COVID. So his replacement has been Thomas Hickey, and he's played quite well since uh, being inserted into the lineup. Do you think that he's earned himself a couple more minutes, or is he? more than likely to come out when Dobson returns, become that seventh defenseman, or do you think they're going to find a way for him to, to continue to play? No, I, I think he goes back to being the seventh defenseman. Look, it, it, Thomas Hickey is one of the, uh, you know, the most stand-up guys you're, you're going to meet in the NHL, and there's no one not rooting for Thomas Hickey. And it was a really good story, you know, him coming back into the lineup the way he did. But I think Barry Trotz has made it very clear that he has a definitive top six, and, and that's, you know, Pellick Pulak, Letty Mayfield, and uh, Green and Dobson, and those are the six guys that Barry Trotz is going to ride. Now, I, I think it's it's been very beneficial for the Islanders to, to see that they can use Thomas Hickey at the drop of a hat when, when they need him, but I, I don't think, you know, when Dobson goes back in, I don't think that's changing Barry's mind as who he sees yep. as his top six. So, you know, it, it's just good to know that, you know, whenever the next time comes around, and, and look, the Islanders have been really lucky, um, you know, in, in terms of injuries. Um, you know, even, you know, I say that even with Anders Lee going out with the torn right ACL, um, the, the first 28 games of the season, Barry was able to use the same six defensemen. And, you know, we all saw last season with Adam Pellick's injury, you know, how, how fragile it can be when you lose one of your defensemen. So, uh, you know, 
I, I, at some point, one of them, one of those top six is going to have a bumper or bruise that's going to keep them out of the lineup. So it's good to know that you can trust Tomaseki to, to go in like that. But, you know, that that's what he is right now. He is clearly a seventh defenseman on this team. So I, I know that, you know, obviously they're in the middle of a, a playoff push and the standings can change each and every game. But it seems like uh, Andy Green's been a little sluggish as of late. Do you think we'll see any time where Hickey might come in for a game to give him a day off? Or do you think that he's just going to ride Green? Because I, I think Green can handle it, but it seems like, you know, the schedule and the game is getting to him a bit. Yeah, you know, and I think you could say that for the whole team. I mean, they just looked a little sluggish right off the the hop, right? All, all road trip. Um, with 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 regards to Andy and getting back to what I was just saying, um, I, I I I do think that Barry is going to to to, to ride these guys, and uh, you know, I, the the schedule. I mean, not I don't want to say it gets easier because the level of competition is is pretty high here um, down the rest of the stretch. But you know, it's not the would they play eighteen games in thirty three days, which is just almost a suicidal pace in the <laughs> NHL. Um, they, you know, they, they have a uh, Tuesday and Wednesday off this week. I think next week they have a, a span where they have two days off. It, it's not, you know, game upon game upon game, uh, like, like it has been. So I, I think the guys, the guys have been pretty good about, you know, knowing how to get the rest and recovery and take care of their bodies. And, and Andy is such a veteran, you know, yeah, he's, He's 38 years old, which is certainly, you know, old by NHL standards. But, you know, Andy Green has always been, you know, ever since he came into the NHL in 2008 with the Devils, he's always been a a thinking man's defenseman. You know, he doesn't have necessarily the big body that that you, you see in NHL defensemen. So he had to go about this kind of in a smart way. So he he plays very intelligently, you know, positionally, taking the right angles, you know, getting to his spots. And, and that goes to off the ice, too. I, I know Andy is is pretty smart with, you know, knowing his body and knowing when to push it and knowing, knowing when to let off on the reins a little bit. So I, I don't really worry about him. Oh, that's good because, I mean, Andy Green is uh, such a professional. And even though he's 38, I feel like he can still play top minutes. And he, he's such a – valuable defensive defense but I feel like in the NHL today everyone just focused on offense offense but Andy Green's one of those guys that's so reliable in his own bones um the Islanders have a habit over their last four games Andrew of of trailing you know they haven't yeah. scored the first goal and we saw last night again they fall behind early they try to come back it comes up short do you think it's just a mental block at this point or is something more to this I know Barry Trotz after the game said you know they just don't seem ready to go is there something more to it than just the mental aspect of it? Um, I mean, probably. I mean, they're they're facing some pretty good competition. The, the Bruins get up two on them. Um, you know, yeah. I guess you can flip it. You know, that you know, you look at it as the Islanders did a heck of a job. You know, getting two points out of that game after falling down two. Yeah. But yeah, you know, they can't be relied upon to, to continually come back. It, it does wear on you when, when you're constantly playing from behind. Um, I, you know, and, and we were grilling the guys last night, you know, is, is there a common theme here? You know, what's why? 
And, uh, you know, Nick Letty said that he doesn't see any rhyme or reason to it. Um, Barry Trotz mentioned a little bit of fatigue, the grind of the season. It, it may be nothing more than that. But, yeah, you know, it, the, the Islanders, it can't, that can't be the excuse or the answer because the Islanders are no different than any of these other teams in the NHL. The schedule is wearing uh, physically, and, and the Islanders just have to be better at it. Um, and, and that's going to really – look, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I'm sure there's doubt, but I, I think most people would agree at this point that it's looking like the Capitals, Penguins, Islanders, and Bruins are going to be the four playoff teams coming out of this division, right? I mean, something funky would have to happen for one of those four to really fall off. I mean, you know, the Rangers and the Flyers still, I guess, have a shot, but neither one – I mean, the Flyers are a disaster right now. <laughs> you know, their goaltenders can't stop a puck. Um, and, and the Rangers, the Rangers have been better, um, but you know, they they've still shown an overall inconsistency to their game. You know, uh, Igor Shesterkin has not been the goalie this season that he was last season. Uh, you know, the defense has been a little shaky. You know, uh, obviously, you know. Uh, and Zibanejad playing the way he is, um, you know, gives him hope. But my, my overall point is I, I think we can agree that, you know, it, it's kind of the, the Bruins, Islanders, Penguins, and Capitals playoff spots to lose at this point. And, and, and I don't think any of those four are really going to fall off the cliff. So, you know, as we go along um, – the Islanders have time to get better and, and to get mentally stronger and, and to fix out, uh, figure out what's going on at the beginning of, uh, of games. But I, I'll tell you what, if they get into the playoffs and, and they're still, you know, having to play from behind all the time, it's going to be a pretty quick out for them. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is. And one of the things, that it, it, you have to have in the playoffs is good road success. And it seems that early on, uh, not early on anymore, but throughout the course of the season, the Islanders have been dominant at home, which is great, great way to send off the Coliseum. But when they go on the road, they become a much more uh, mediocre team, I guess is the right word. They're 9-9-2 nine, nine, and two on the road. They're not terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but they're falling behind in games. They're, they're struggling to be consistent when they step away from that Coliseum. So is that something that there's a cause for concern do you think they're going to be able to figure that out come that postseason time because the only way to win a playoff series is you got to find a way to win on the road especially if they now start to trickle down to that three spot or four spot uh i'll be honest with you and we've been asking the guys all season because it it is odd on the surface right yep you know being so good at home when there are no fans (laughs) right um so you know, you would think the opposite would be true, that you would have less of a home ice advantage. I think what's going on, it's it's not just the Islanders, but in general, being on the road right now is a real slog because of the COVID protocols. You are basically a prisoner in your hotel room. You, you, you stay in your hotel room. There, It's not like you can go down for a team meal or, or grab a bite at a restaurant, right? You, so, Guys are eating in their rooms. They're basically going to their hotel room, going to the to to the rink to practice for a morning skate or a practice or play a game. Back to the hotel room, and they're spending more than you know. It's not just a quick twenty four hours in and out of the city now. Now you're playing these two 
sometimes three-game series in one spot. And I, I do think mentally it is very difficult to get yourself into the right mind frame when you know you're you're just basically sitting around staring at the same four walls all the time in your hotel room. Um, you know, and I, I don't have the list of, of road records in front of me, you know, up and down the NHL, but I, I think my sense is that most teams are, you know, are are, are not as good this season on the road as a result. Yeah. And, and and I really think it's because the guys talk about it you know, how boring it is. It, it was not like going into the bubble. You know, the bubble yep. had its own issues, but, the you know, you could tell which teams in the bubbles turned the situation around and used it to their advantage. And the Islanders were one of them where they, they, they bought into the team building and, and the brotherhood aspect. You know, other teams, you know, the Rangers get swept in three games. Going back to the to the Rangers again, yep. and 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 the whispers were that the Rangers wanted no part of the bubble. You know that they were, they just hated the atmosphere, and and it showed in their play on the ice. And and the Islanders embraced the bubble, but you know this is very different on the road right now. And, and I think, you know, the reason you're doing well at home, and the guys have talked about this too, is. A, you're not confined to your hotel room, but, you know, just the comfort of being able to get into your car. And, you know, and, and yeah. the guys the guys have very strict protocols at home. Don't get me wrong. But you are with your, your you know, your, your wives, your kids, your family is around. You're in your, your comfortable environment, your own bed. And, and I think this season, more than any other season, that, that's playing a huge role in, in what we see in the hockey games. Uh, you know, a player's comfort level in the off-ice environment. So, I mean, those are all great points. I mean, you talk about team building, Pajot with the the ping-pong champion. I mean, we all remember that. That was – but it, you're right. They embraced it. And you could see when they played on the rink that it was much more team-oriented the way they played. It was just compact. They looked, they looked great, and that's why they went on such a long run. But going back to the game on Thursday against the Capitals, the Islanders have failed to get a point against the Caps all year. It's kind of like the, the the Penguins who's dominated them. But, I mean, the Islanders have been in games against the Caps, you know, that major blowout a couple uh, earlier in the year where they had five goals against in the second period. It was just not good. Besides scoring first, which would be, which would be great to see because the Islanders can't seem to do that. You know, it, it's staying out of the <laughs> – is staying out of the penalty box and what the biggest thing against this Capitals team? Because you saw last game, I mean, their power play always with Ovechkin in that spot is lethal. Over the last four games, the Islanders have taken six penalties in the first period in total over that span. And it's just, it wears the team down. Your top players like Barzal, Wallstrom, they're not on the ring for the PK, so they're not getting playing time. So you think the biggest thing is just staying out of the box early in games? Yeah, certainly one of the biggest things. I mean, you know, everyone knows where Ovechkin's going to go, and, you know, no one's figured out how to stop him in, you know, 16 seasons or whatever it is. Yeah, um, yeah and, you know, it's not just staying out of the box. It's taking undisciplined penalties. Uh, the Islanders, if you go through, they're taking too many penalties in the offensive zone. You know, it's not these defensive zone where, you know, you, you – kind of take a penalty to prevent the goal type of thing. They're 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 taking penalties way down the ice, you know, like you know, last game, uh, you know, Ross Johnson is, is first shift since January 26th 
and he whacks the stick out of Jared McCann's hands. And that, he, he, you couldn't make, and he did it right in front of the referee too. You could not make that call easier, right? Yeah, the snake stops too. So yeah, I mean, it's an offensive zone penalty, and, and you know, Angelo scores on the power play there, and. and and this goes back to what we're talking about, playing from behind. Uh, the Islanders spent all of the pre, pre-game media access talking about how they had to have a good first five, ten minutes, and they couldn't play from behind. And then you take this offensive zone penalty, and you're behind, you know. So, yeah, you know, and, and certainly, you know, uh, again, projecting ahead towards the postseason where five-on-five goals become even more difficult to score, your, your special teams do have to – to step up and you, you do have to play discipline there. And I, I feel like, you know, the Islanders have taken penalties in the past, but I, I just feel like the, the last week or so they, they've taken very preventable penalties. And that to me is a little troubling. Yeah. So Andrew, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really thank do you. appreciate it. And Love enjoying reading your stuff on Newsday each and every day. I know I do an article for Christian Arnold where every day I got to do daily links. And every time I go to your site, I'm like, okay, I got three three articles from Andrew to do because you're always working mid-game. So love your work, Andrew. And again, thanks so much for coming on. You guys, thanks so much for having me. And uh, it was great chatting with you. Uh, be well. Best to your families. Yeah. Andrew Gross, one of the best guys we've interviewed and in- He's down to earth as well. He took the time to talk to us, and he he knows his stuff. He's been covering over a 1,000 NHL games. I think he said on Twitter he hit that mark last year. He covered the Devils, the Rangers, now the Islanders. And, no, nah, he explains perfectly. Like, undisciplined penalties early in games have really come back to bite this team. And, it's, again, we talked about it. It's not about the Islanders giving up a power play goal. Well, that's hurt them over the last couple. It's the fact that it's a grueling effort now. You're starting the game shorthanded. More work's got to be put in. You're you're taxing your defense, your top killers. You know, Mayfield looks so bad this year, which people keep saying, even though, you know, his stats are better than it was last year. It's the fact that he's on the penalty kill. He does these things. He's in a more vulnerable spot. And the penalties like a Ross Johnson penalty in the offensive zone, it's just not okay. Defensive zone penalties are one thing, and they're not great. But when you're in the offensive zone, you can't be taking penalties, especially your first shift back from playing and the fact that your team already struggles to start games. So the last thing you could do in your first shift in two, three months is come on the rink and take a penalty. And the honors don't kill it off, and they're trailing. So it's unfortunate, but, I mean, the players feel like there's nothing to correlate there. You know, it's just getting ready to go. And hopefully Thursday when it comes around against the Caps, they get off, they get off to a very strong start. Yeah, they have to. And I think you know, this is a good time to talk about the upcoming schedules for the two teams because, yeah. um, you know, last time we had a show, I talked about the Rangers had to go a certain record to make the playoffs. I think it was like 18, 5, and 3 is what I came up with. And this current month, you know, March is done, right? You had Mika March where he was going off. Adam Fox, we talked about his numbers in March. So they were dominating. And uh, now you have a 16-game stretch in April, right? 16-game sprint where if you're going to make the playoffs – they have to probably rack up between t- 12 and 13 wins in the 16-game stretch. They start off with two against the Sabres now. We already know what has to happen. Domination. Correct. Two against the Penguins. Those are your last two against Pittsburgh. You, you probably want to beat them. I think they're the last two. I might be mistaken there. Then you get two against the Islanders, four against the Devils, one against the Islanders, and two against the Flyers before two more against Buffalo. That stretch between the Islanders and Devils is seven games. 
I, you got to try to go five one and one. I mean, and well, I, you got to try to go seven and zero. Yeah, well, yes, but that's unrealistic. That's too many games. They play four straight against the Devils. It's very hard to win four straight against one team. Could they do it? Sure, but will they? I highly doubt it. But if you could beat those teams, and if they could somehow go twelve two and two or twelve three and one, something like that in this month, playoffs now become some sort of realistic aspiration where that final stretch of five to seven games is going to be huge. Like it's going to be a battle. But if they don't and they, you know, wind up being like nine and, and seven over the, this course of the 16 games, they're not going to have a chance. So it's really interesting to see how this pans out because it's a lot of rivalry games and sprinkled around some Sabres games that are must wins. I mean, you talk about the Rangers scale. The Islanders isn't easy. By no. any, yes, they're in a playoff spot, but they want to they want to stay there. So right now they play Caps Thursday. It goes Ca- Caps, Flyers, Caps, Flyers, Rangers, Rangers. To end the year, they got five games against the Caps, who they're 0-3 against this year. Four games against the Rangers. They're 2-1 right now. Three games against Boston, who they 5-0 again against. If they could go, you know, I mean, when the season began, people, someone said after the one uh, after they beat the Bruins the first time, 1-0, oh, they're going to go 8-0. And it was a complete, utter joke. But they, they have the chance to do that. And, and I hope two, they do. If <laughs> You have no chance. <laughs> I if hope two, they do. If Ra- it doesn't seem like Tuka Rass is coming back anytime soon. And we saw last year, he didn't play in the bubble because he had to deal with an issue with his daughter. He, he left the bubble. If they don't have Rask, and they're on a downward trend right now, the Bruins, they have not played good hockey. Not only can they fall out of a playoff spot, but if they do make the playoffs, they're not going to go in hot, I'll tell you that. They got two games against the Flyers, who they're 2-1-2 and two against this year. Two games against the Sabres, who they're 6-0 and oh against. And two games against the Devils, who they're 4-1 and one against. So, I mean... They not that the Rangers aren't obviously they're not a playoff team right now, but at the same time that's a playoff style game. I mean the Rangers doesn't matter what the record of the Rangers is. The record battles, of the Rangers, the battles, it's a battle. It's grueling. It's you know energy consuming. It could take a lot out of you to have to go play a different team. You go play the Sabers after playing the Rangers, and it might not be an easy win. So you look at these games against the Islanders and. It's tough for competition. I don't care if you want to say the Bruins are higher than the Rangers, the Flyers, whatever. I, I have more in that game of being a harder game than I do in a game against the Sabre, uh, against the um, Bruins. Excuse me. So it's tough. It's tough battles, and mm-hmm. it's, we're going to see exactly right now in this last month plus what kind of Islanders team this is. And again, trade deadlines approaching. Do they, they have to add somebody? It's not even. It's not even a question. If they no, don't, they do. they're they're in serious trouble. But if they could add two pieces and you know get a depth forward, a uh, top player to play alongside Barzal, I mean, you're finding you're going to find out in this last month plus. What the true identity of this? How how good of a chance this Islanders team have of making a run like they did last year and going over the top against a team like Tampa? That's what you're going to see. Yep. And now the Rangers play the Islanders three times over that seven game stretch that I just mentioned. Yeah. All three are at Nassau Coliseum, so that's that's their work cut out for them. But if you flash back to the beginning of this season when we were having these shows and we were trying to guess when they were going to start and we were so excited. <laughs> and we said, with these tight divisions, it's bound to come down to like a final game for these playoff spots. And the script just tends to write itself because the final two game of, this, uh, of the season for the Rangers are against the Boston Bruins. And if there is a chance, if there is a chance, if the Rangers are four points behind the Bruins with two games left, those two teams will be playing twice to end the season. And if what a turn of events that would be if it can come down to that final game. Because one, I don't know if my heart is ready for it. But two, 
how exciting will hockey be if there are four or five teams that are on that bubble or the precipice of making the playoffs and they wind up colliding in that final game. The last time that I could recall the Rangers had a, a situation like that where it came down to the final game, winner moves on, was against the Flyers a while back. They lost in a shootout. So I'm hoping we do not relive that trend. But those games are like an, an extra week of playoffs, and it's awesome to watch. Did Claude Giroux score that goal? Or is that Voracek? I, I don't know. I have physically blocked it out from my memory. I, I kind of think it was closure anyway. We don't have to mask, you know, talk about that. But one crazy thing is if the Rangers do exactly what you said, right? And it comes down to one game and the Bruins have to lose. You know who the Bruins end the season against? Who? The, the Islanders. Islanders. So the rate wait, the Rangers play May 8th to end their season. The Islanders, a makeup game from the postponement of Cup is the ninth. Is May 10th. May 10th. So if the Rangers find a way to make this a, a point or two out. I don't know who has a tiebreaker. Again, we'd have to see if everyone can play 56, which they should be able to, barring no other issues. Ranger fans and the Rangers could be sitting at home on their couches watching an Islanders-Bruins game. And I'll if, tell you right now, if, it comes if the down Islanders to that. go 7-0 against them and lose that last game and the Rangers don't make the playoffs, I will, as an Islander fan, be pissed off. One, because this game could impact Islanders making it. Who knows what happens in this next month? But two, I want to see a Rangers Islanders play each other in the playoffs and when the divisions change and go back to normal, you know, what's the likelihood that happens again? This is the year for this to happen. And if the Rangers can find a way to do it, the Islanders better damn well beat the if, Bruins if on it May. Comes down to that, if it comes down to that, you will give me a jersey and I will wear a, a dang Islanders jersey for that game. I'll put on a blue and orange wig. I don't care whatever I have to do to push the Islanders to win because that would be crazy. And I know for a fact that if the Islanders lost and that was like the situation that happened, somehow Islanders fans would take pride in that. I'd be getting added on Twitter going, oh, look, the Rangers lost because we lost. You lost the game. Sorry. Like, come on. Win that game. Win that game for us because you already gave the Bruins a point the other night. I mean, yeah, I want them to win. So, Brendan, we are out of time here. It is 7 o'clock. But one thing I do want to point out is next Wednesday – will be the day after me and Brendan face off in the playoffs for our house men's league. In the first round of the playoffs, my team is playing Brendan's team. So one of us will be in a great mood. The other one, not so much. We'll talk about it. I think we might have to do a bet on social media, Brendan, but we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you to Andrew Gross of Newsday for joining us. Uh, Monday we'll have an episode out, a pre-recorded episode, and we'll see you guys again back on Wednesday. Take care, everybody. The Backcheck is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Backcheck. Follow the show on social media at Backcheck Pod.